Coming up on Stu Does America, it's a day that ends in Y, so that must mean it's time to burn another American city to the ground. We have the latest, and we know the left is not going to let this crisis go to waste, but are conservatives missing a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to change our education system? We'll talk about what Republicans should be doing. Before we get going, take a minute to click like on this video if you're on YouTube. Before you forget, or I say something that pisses you off, you can get all of our episodes for free anytime. Just go to YouTube and search for Stu. I'll be the first one there. If you're listening on iTunes, thank you very much. We invite you to be part of the Cool Kids Club and click subscribe. We really appreciate your rating the podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And throw us a quick review. You know, this is great. Whatever, you know, whatever. You got it. We read your reviews at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. And we really like to uh, thank you for when you subscribe to Blaze TV. You really want to help the movement. That's a great way to do it. We need conservative media more than ever before. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Okay, if something is in plain sight, yet everyone refuses to look at it, is it hidden? It's time to do Biden's hidden radicalism. Stu does America. There's a pretty simple and effective message that the Republican National Convention needs to beat into the ground this week. The Democrats are lying to you. Joe Biden is not a moderate. They are far more radical than they are letting on. They want you to see Joe Biden as harmless, while at the same time, he's actually taking you down the road to Stalingrad. The sides have been chosen. The players are in place. Will we be transformed into a socialist wasteland? It's the road to Stalingrad 2020 on Stew Does America. But how do you prove that the Democrats are hiding their radicalism. Sure, you could highlight the AOCs of the world, and that's important. But Biden is benefiting from an amazing superpower that only he possesses. He seems way too old and incompetent to be a radical mastermind. When he tries to act, you know, all woke, he says stuff like this. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, And you ain't black. (laughs) You know, people ask, uh, understandably, how could a guy who thinks that is a good idea possibly be some hidden Democratic socialist? And it is a legitimate question. Wasn't he the guy that was running as a moderate? And sure, he did run as a moderate as compared to Bernie Sanders. That's like saying Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift wasn't as bad as Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, it's statistically accurate. Tokyo Drift has a 37% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and Too Fast, Too Furious has 36%. But I'm not sure either one was nominated for Best Picture. Running to the right of Bernie Sanders does not put you in the middle. But who's going to believe me? I mean, I'm just some evil conservative. If only we could get pretty much every left-wing intellectual, podcaster, columnist, commentator, and activist group to admit that he's not actually a moderate, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, for example, how about the Sunrise Movement? They're a far-left climate group that is pushing for the Green New Deal. They endorsed Bernie Sanders for president, and Rashida Tlaib, and Cori Bush, and Ilan Omar for Congress, among other crazy people. They actually were so pissed off at Nancy Pelosi for not being liberal enough 
that they organized a sit-in protest to push the Green New Deal with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Would they be pleased with a moderate? No. Yet they tweeted this. In 2017, Bernie Sanders introduced legislation for 100% clean energy by 2050. That Joe Biden is now backing 100% electricity, clean electricity by 2035 hmm, is a very big deal. And it's a huge victory for the Green New Deal movement. Sunrise movement, be proud and let's keep pushing. Or how about Peter Beiner in The Atlantic in his piece entitled Biden goes big without sounding like it. Perceived as a moderate, he has embraced strikingly progressive goals without facing any political backlash. It's a really long title, but he writes, despite embracing an agenda that is further to the left than that of any Democratic nominee in decades, he's avoided specific policy proposals and catchphrases that Republicans find easiest to attack. As a result, he appears more centrist than he actually is. Here's an interesting conversation uh, from the 538 Politics Podcast. Whatever Bernie can do to push Biden to the left, however far that goes, tack on another like 50 miles to the left based on the pandemic and the need to respond to it and all its effects, Hmm. right? Like we're in a moment where Republicans in Congress are debating not whether or not to take huge governmental action, but like how huge that action should be. If a Biden administration happens, you have to imagine it would happen in a context where even by the standards of four years ago, it is taking really ambitious leftist policy positions Uh in response to the pandemic because the pandemic has shifted the the Overton window so much, right? Hmm. In a sense, we're saying that the critique that Trump has tried to launch at the Biden campaign, there's real truth to it. Mm. I guess it's got to be frustrating for them that through the strength of Biden's own image or character, people don't see him that way. Mm. I bet that is pretty frustrating. Or how about Paul Waldman in The Washington Post and his piece, How Joe Biden is Moving Left While Still Being Seen as a Moderate? Hmm. Something extraordinary is happening. Biden is getting more progressive in substance Yet it has done nothing to change his image as a moderate. There's a kind of shift we expect from presidential candidates. In the primaries, they appeal to their party with pledges of ideological fealty. Then, when the nomination is secured during the general election, they head back to the center. Biden, however, is doing the opposite in substance, if not in rhetoric. And, of course, this is Jonathan Shade in New York Magazine. Joe Biden's platform is... More progressive than you think is the title. Quote, the truth is that Biden has a domestic agenda that, while nowhere near as radical as Bernie Sanders platform, is almost certainly to the left of anything even a Democratic run Congress would pass. Wow. How about Vox? Ella Nielsen wrote a piece. Uh, Biden now envisions a much larger role for government in his administration if he wins than past Democratic presidents have been comfortable with. Whoa. Or another piece from Vox. Progressives see a list of ideas that goes beyond a status quo and goes beyond where Biden had campaigned in the primary. Faiz Shakir, Sanders presidential campaign manager in 2020, said (laughs) praise from Bernie Sanders campaign manager. I mean, wow. Even he's saying Biden went left. Hmm. Check in with uh, Matt Iglesias from Vox. Uh, Quote, 
It's the most progressive platform of any Democratic nominee in modern history of the party, said Waleed Shaheed, communications director for Justice Democrats. Those are the people who recruited AOC to run for office, and they seem to like Biden's agenda. That's not very moderate. What about the founder of Vox, Ezra Klein? What does he think? Quote, by the standards of the party in 2008, the moderates look like leftists. Let's try some Obama-era Democrats, like speechwriter Michael A. Cohen. Quote, it's precisely because Biden is seen as a pragmatic moderate and not a controversial liberal that he was able to capture the nomination. But since then, Biden has moved increasingly leftward. How about the Washington Post? The Democratic policy community has dramatically shifted left. A new generation of economists is legitimizing ideas once considered verboten in establishment debates. I just use that one because I love the word verboten. Or how about over at the Atlantic once again? Quote, Biden has won on a social democratic policy program that, while sharing uh, his general view of the world, is significantly bolder than Barack Obama's. Hmm. How about this? Here's Nate Silver from the 538 Politics Podcast. Objectively, Biden has the most left-wing platform since McGovern. Oh. Now, it is not as far left, to be sure, as Elizabeth Warren's platform would have been or Bernie Sanders's. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty far left relative to Obama's even on some issues. But people think of Biden as this kind of old, safe, Uncle Joe White male, right? And so they don't see him as being radical. So yeah, like in some ways, the kind of Trojan horse critique is one of the smarter critiques that Trump can try. <laughs> That's because it's true. The Trojan horse thing is a good idea because it's true. How about Mother Jones? They couldn't also possibly agree with this idea, could they? Quote, the Progressive Change Institute, an affiliate of the Warren-aligned Progressive Change Campaign Committee, has set about creating a personnel power map of the executive branch showing which appointed positions have the authority to enact or thwart various policy ideas. The goal is to have people throughout the federal government who know how to exercise power, (laughs) says Stephanie Taylor, a co-founder. Former, and this is amazing, former Obama speechwriter John Favreau on the Pod Save America podcast. If that's where the Overton window has moved, then congratulations to all the progressive activists because you have moved the out of that window (laughs) that is supporting the Green New Deal. And basically, Medicare for all is now moderate and centrist. Fantastic. I'll take it. (laughs) Doesn't that make you guys laugh? Isn't that funny? It's centrist now. It's kind of weird. What about that Bernie Sanders himself? You remember him? Surely he can't be pleased, right? I mean, he lost to this guy. and He was running as the moderate candidate. What does Bernie Sanders have to say about Joe Biden? If those task force proposals are implemented, you know what? Joe Biden will become the most progressive president since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And that at this moment is what we need. Listen to all this. I mean, Bernie Sanders is never happy. He has never had a pleasant day in his life. He's in a constant state of misery. No one is liberal enough for him. Yet despite some very generic disclaimers that he didn't get everything he wanted, Bernie Sanders is praising Joe Biden as the most progressive president since FDR. 
It's remarkable, and it's pretty much unanimous. The left can't believe they might be getting this far, far left president without having to pay the price in the election for all the left-wing policies. And they're not hiding it. They're not hiding their glee. They're all saying it out in the open. Is anyone noticing? Several of the examples we've talked about here are included in a great piece from Dan McLaughlin of National Review. We'll tweet the story out from at Stu Does America, which you should be following, of course. The title of the piece, Dear Biden Supporters, We Can Read, You Know. (laughs) But I wonder, can we? Can we read? Will we? Sure, we can read and notice all these admissions. But will your average voter read? Will they bother to read? Are they going to allow the wool to be pulled over their eyes? The American people don't want socialism, but if they don't know about it, anything can happen. I know the left has control of the media and they they honestly should feel confident in their ability at this point to de-emphasize this stuff. Think about it. While all of this existed in the public domain, most of the media still imaged Kamala Harris as a pragmatic moderate. But can this really work in the year 2020 with all of our ability to communicate with each other? Can they possibly get away with this? This is what Donald Trump and the Republican National Convention have to try to stop. They have four nights of of this one week, four nights and maybe a couple of months afterward to convince the American people that Joe Biden isn't some lovable, huggable moderate. He's moving farther left than any modern presidential nominee has since McGovern, since FDR, since ever. Can the Republicans stop it? They better. Because the next four years and the future direction of this country depend on it. I want you to all, I want you to raise a fist and say this with me. Black Rifle Coffee matters. Pretty uh, profound thing. I just came up with it. Black Rifle Coffee is a great coffee company. They offer a variety of roast profiles from light, medium, and dark, all sourced from around the world through a rigorous process uh, and roasted in the U.S. at their facilities in Tennessee and Utah. Best way to enjoy Black Rifle Coffee? Through the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Free subscription uh, where your chosen uh, uh, coffee is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on schedule, you'll also receive special discounted pricing and gain access to exclusive products, member-only content, partner discounts, and more. I will say, my wife loves the Black Rifle coffee. She used to always have the coffee, and it would go up, and it would go in the microwave some point during the day. Uh, and uh, I guess she intended to heat it up and then finish drinking it because she had taken so long drinking it. Uh, she wasn't enjoying it apparently that much, so it got all cold on her. And then I come home at night, open up the microwave because that's where I cook all my food, and uh, it's, there's always just like this old cup of coffee in there. Not anymore. Black Rifle Coffee has solved that problem because she loves Black Rifle Coffee. Go to blackriflecoffee.com stew. Be sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show, and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. That's blackriflecoffee.com stew. Use the promo code stew for 20% off. So I'm reading a piece by Nate Hockman in the City Journal, and it's about how the national media is just not doing its job when covering Portland. And I thought to myself, yeah, those bastards, why aren't they doing their job? And then I thought to myself, I'm kind of the national media, so you know, maybe maybe I could do something about it. So welcome right now to the program, Nate Hockman. Thanks for coming on the program, Nate. Dude, thanks for having me. 
You know, uh, you read it. You make a really good point and one that had not crossed my mind. Uh, the Portland riots uh, had been going on for a long time. They became the center of the national media when Donald Trump uh, tried to deal with it with federal federal troops. Uh, and then I guess uh, all the riots stopped. Right. That's at least how I would perceive it if I was a, a normal person not following the story. That's right. I mean, seriously, it, it was it was headline news for the better part of a month, as long as you know the Trump administration had DHS agents there, because the story, as far as the media was concerned, was the imminent fascism of, of the Trump administration. Um, but seriously, I mean, if you look at the New York Times and the Washington Post, stories about Portland are nowhere to be seen. And, you know, riots have increased this month, as well as, uh, you know, a ton of disturbing videos coming out of, of destruction of of uh, innocent people getting beat up by mobs. I mean, this isn't exaggeration. It is what's happening, but it's completely absent from the media because, you know, as you said, they're not doing their job. They're interested in pushing a narrative, which is uh, frustrating to say the least. <laughs> yes. Uh, only the last couple of days has there been a story kind of on this front that has eclipsed it. But Portland and Seattle have been dealing with this for a very long time. It's getting worse and worse. Uh, we keep seeing uh, the destruction of property, but it's important to note that it's not just property, is it? That's right. Well, and, and first of all, you know, it's it's worth clarifying that people who are sort of apologists for the violence wave it off and say, it's, you know, it, it's just property. What's the big deal? You know, it's just people looting Walmarts. And, and that's not what's happening. I mean, what's happening is the destruction of communities and, and, and a lot of small businesses owned by working class, uh, you know, racial minorities. It's, it's really not sort of just property. Property is people's lives. But with that being said, you're right, it's people are also being physically harmed. The, the video that came out recently was of a man and his wife being beaten up by cops, or by, by, uh, by mobs with, with no cops in sight. Um, and you had a bunch of cops also being sent to the hospital throughout the course of the last month, at least. So people are really being hurt. Um, and, and it's not just destruction of property. And the destruction of property is, is more than, than, than people make it out to be. It's a big deal. Uh, our, our own Elijah Schaefer, who works here for Blaze TV, has been all over covering these things. And, and he talked to a couple of the business owners today uh, in where is it, Wisconsin, where all the stuff's going down right now. And these are people who own businesses for 40 years. Many of them had real uh, affinity with the Black Lives Matter movement generally, certainly aren't rooting for you know, people to be shot without reason. And yet they pay the price. Their business is destroyed uh, despite having no guilt uh, and, and no real role in the story whatsoever. That's right. No, I mean, these are the best people of any community, right? I mean, these are really you know, stand up people, law abiding citizens, people who, as you point out, care about their community. It's not like they're all, you know, uh, rabid right wingers, especially in Portland, Oregon. Um, but, yeah, that's right. And the media is completely uninterested in telling their story. I mean, again, those of us on the right and conservatives, you know, talk a lot about media bias. And I think sometimes we spend too much time talking about media bias. But this is really just egregious. I mean, the, the way that that the media has taken sides on this and then the, the coverage is completely dropped off. And you have people whose lives, good people whose lives are being ruined or have been ruined by, you know, what is, what is prolonged mob violence. And it's radio silence because it's, it's incredibly I'm wondering if you have a uh, like, like us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering if you have a theory sort of on why 
this is happening the way that it's happening right now. I know, you know, we've been talking about for quite a long time about this idea that the, the media's always been biased. It's always been a, a group of people who have who not liked Republicans for one reason or another. And it was pretty bad during George W. Bush. Um, with Trump, it seems to have gone to a new level. And I don't think it's the bias. I think there's an there's an obsession there. He obviously takes on the media, uh, you know, as his number one target all the time. He's constantly, you know, firing that that battle up. So I'm, I'm wondering if you have a theory here as to why this is so egregious right now. My, I, my kind of thinking on it is we are in the stretch of this election. And, you know, what whatever pretenses of journalism, you know, existed in the past are, are gone now. It's time to make sure that this guy does not get back into office. That's right. Yeah. And as you pointed out, you know, part of it, at least, is provocation on the president's party. You know, we should be fair about that. Um, but, you know, part of it is the fact that journalists now see themselves as activists. I mean, they're they're really explicit about this. There is a, a current, in, 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 especially among young, younger journalists at places like The New York Times, um, to view their job as creating social change, which specifically means leaning into their biases. Whereas, as you pointed out, you know, for a long time, journalists have been biased to the left. But before they at least tried to tell the story and, mm. and, you know, their biases were sort of subconscious. Now it's it's explicit and specific. There is an idea that if you are, you know, telling any type of story that could be helpful to right wingers, for example, or the Republican Party, you're betraying the cause. And, and that is why you've seen public trust in media decline rapidly in the last decade it's because they do things like like, you know, the, the egregious lack of coverage of Portland. It seems like one of the germs of that idea, because I think you're right as far as younger uh, journalists have this sort of more idealistic thing. We obviously know budgets have been cut, so some of the older journalists are no longer there to keep the younger journalists in line. Um, I think also, though, there's this idea of, of reflection from the left and in the media in particular. When they look back at the 2016 election, they see... Uh, there's almost universal criticism of the way they covered, for example, Hillary Clinton's emails. We spent too much time on this and that gave, you know, uh, energy to that story. And that's one of the reasons why Hillary lost. We focused too much on the Comey letter in the last days and we shouldn't have. That to me is a scary instinct because they're just basically admitting what they wanted to happen. Um, Is that part of it here? Because they won't even go to the the mild criticism of things that Biden and Harris uh, do. And they won't go ever to the side of, you know, to to the point, you make the point in the column, you know, they're just getting rid of the Tom Cotton (laughs) op-ed. Then they're firing the guy who approved it. I mean, this is insanity. Right. And, you know, the Tom Cotton op-ed was expressing a point of view that was held by the majority of Americans, including 48 percent of Democrats at the time. So it's, it's worth pointing that out, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, to bring it back to Portland, if the media were doing their job at all, they would be pressing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to actually respond to what's happening in Portland, just like they press Republicans to respond to, you know, issues with, with, with the right, with the political right. But you're not going to see that at all because the media sees themselves as engaged in the collective endeavor to get Trump out of office and to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris rather than to tell the truth. And, you know, you're seeing that borne out right now. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go to another point that you make in the column about uh, the protesters and how they are mostly peaceful. This is something we hear all the time. You know, it strikes me as the fact that like anyone that's committed a crime spends most of their time 
peaceful. They're not always committing crimes. But this is different because this is something that's in a, in a way it's almost scheduled. It seems like they have this pattern there where they bring out the people who are, are, are peaceful protesters at first to give that sort of facade. And then, you know, the, the bad stuff goes down later at night. Right. Yeah, that's actually, exactly right. And there's this weird technicality that, that a lot of journalists play where they talk about it being mostly peaceful and it's justified by the fact that the literal numerical majority of people at the protests are peaceful, right? right. Because more people at the protests than not are peaceful. But, you know, if, if you go to Portland like I did, right, and you see what's happening, the city's on fire. Like, that's not peaceful, right? The fact that there are more people in a crowd that aren't setting the, the city on fire than there are doesn't really matter when there's widespread violence in the streets. And you're, the second point is you're absolutely right that the, the, the peaceful protesters primarily come earlier in the night. But what happens is around 11 or, or, or 12 at night, every night, you have, you know, these black-clad violent anarchists show up with the express intent of fighting cops and trying to destroy the city. Um, and, you know, uh, oddly enough, the, the, the media tends to disappear around that time. So they, they tell us the next day that it was mostly peaceful. But if you stay through the night, you know, till 2, 3, 4 a.m., no reasonable person could describe what's happening in Portland. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I know the New York Times did a big story uh, just the other day, uh, this this weekend in the magazine, where they were. It was a story about um, the Boogaloo Boys, which you know, whatever, some right wing crazy group, uh, you know, that they they really positioned as a major threat to our nation. And thrown in there is the fact that Antifa and you know these black bloc groups are basically nothing. It's just a fever dream of the right. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of people in Hawaiian shirts setting cities on fire. Uh, that is kind of what they 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 blamed uh, here. There's a bunch of guys in Hawaiian shirts, which I thought was very strange. Is there any path, though, to solve this uh, if if the rest of the country is not even aware of what's actually going on there? Uh, well, one thing is is conservative media, explicitly conservative media, doing the job that that journalists are are, are not uh, you know ostensibly nonpartisan journalists are supposed to do. And there's plenty of, of really high quality conservative journalists covering the stories that that, that that sort of the New York Times and the Washington Post won't anymore. But yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the the thought experiment that that I would encourage your viewers to do right is imagine if you know some group like the Blue Boys, some crazy right wing you know group. <laughs> engaged in three months of riots in a city, right? Amazing. Can you imagine what the reaction from the media would be, right? No. And it, it's insane that, 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 that Antifa can get away with that and then and they won't, you know, get held to, to account at all. And a lot of people in the media will apologize for them and, and make it sound like it's all just something that Trump and, and the right has made up. And then the second, you know, 50 boo-boo boys show up, right, that's an existential threat to our democracy. I mean, it's beyond parody. I don't. It's 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 enormously frustrating as someone who lives in Portland and, and sees what's actually happening and then reads the news about it the next day. Yeah, I mean the, the Bundy family was in like a you know a park somewhere for two weeks and it was like the biggest story in America. This is a major right. city. They're setting on fire every yeah. night. It really is amazing. Uh, Nate Hockman, journalist and contributor at uh, Young Voices. Uh, this, the piece is called "Peaceful Riots Continue" in City Journal. I encourage you to read it and uh, and follow Nate as well. Thanks so much for coming on the program, Nate. Thanks, Steve. All right, back in a second. But again, let's just get out there uh, and 
mobilize, organize, mm -hmm. and not uh, let the president deter oh. anybody uh, from voting. And again, mm -hmm. support the postal system, which is oh, yeah. election, election central. They're doing everything they can. Suppress the vote. Of, uh, with your actions, scare people, intimidate right. by saying law enforcement will be there, uh, uh, diminish the role of the, of the postal system in all of this. It's really actually shameful. Enemies of the state. Oh, oh, enemies of the state. Is that it, uh, Nancy? She is just, <laughs> she is really terrible. I struggle at times to even come up with a phrase that would describe, oh, Nancy Pelosi sucks. That actually does a pretty good job at NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. Uh, or, yeah, that's it. Get your NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. Still just as vital and, and relevant as it was the second it was produced. Uh, I want to give you a quick poll. This is a strange one. Um, it has, listen to this. This is, they break it down by party. Republicans going 93 to 5 for Trump. Exactly what you'd expect, right? Democrats, 95 to 3 for Biden. Exactly what you'd expect. So it comes down to independence, right? Well, independents go 47-37 for Trump. So he's up by 10 among independents. This is a CBS poll. However, the top line of all voters, 52 to 42 Biden. Now, this is not completely abnormal to have more Democrats than Republicans. A lot of Republicans tend to identify as independents. Um, and uh, if... You know, it, like if, if it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jesus versus Adolf Hitler and this country, God only knows who would win that election. But let's just say, in theory, people really like Jesus. Most people would probably identify as Jesus's party. Right. So it's not crazy that you have people moving around. They're not sta static uh, categories. That one, though, is it's really it would be interesting if Trump wins by 10 points among independents and loses the election by 10. I have no idea how that's possible. I do not. I do not foresee that one happening. Just going to throw that out there. Um, also, uh, LeBron James, uh, back in the news. LeBron, who is uh, in the playoffs right now, um, he says, uh, of course, he's got to speak out on every issue uh, to make sure we know what we think. You know, what, what does LeBron James think about, about the, the latest shooting? Got to go ask him. Um, because, you know, as we discussed yesterday, when LeBron James says something really dumb about China, we all say, oh, well, you didn't understand it. It's totally OK. Uh, total pass. We're going to give him a total pass on that. When he tweets anti-Semitic lyrics, he says, oh, I thought they were a compliment. I thought saying the Jews were money grubbing was a compliment. They really like money and money is important. Currency is important in our society. I didn't know. And everyone says, oh, well, LeBron didn't know. I guess he's so dumb. We just you know, don't even regard his comments, which I'm fine. If you want to give that position, it's probably a rational position. I'm fine disregarding all of his comments. However, they don't keep that consistent because then when there's a shooting of an African-American, of course, there's thousands of shootings of African-Americans they don't ask him about. They only ask him about when a white police officer shoots an African-American. When that happens, they go to him as if he's a serious professor. He says, quote, uh, we are scared as black people in America. I know people are getting tired of, of hearing... I, I should probably read it exactly. I know people get tired of hearing me say it, but we are scared as black people in America. Black men, black women, black kids. We are terrified. Does anyone on earth actually believe that LeBron James is scared? Does anyone believe that LeBron James is scared as a black man? LeBron James currently lives in a literal bubble. 
he, he, he is prohibited from leaving Disney World. And we're supposed to believe he's scared. And I got to say, living in Disney World is probably the most dangerous thing LeBron James does because his normal life is behind a gated mansion where no one ever comes near him unless they, he chooses they, that they, he chooses to allow them to cross the barrier of his property and his border wall. Does anybody at all actually believe he's scared? I I'm going to go with a big fat no. Back in a second. You know, conservatives uh, complain about education all the time. It's like well, we're really good at it. We're good at complaining about it. And we have all these plans to make it better. And there are better solutions to education than the way that we do it. Uh, it's been interesting, though, to watch in the middle of this pandemic how we've reacted to it, because I know as a parent, uh, I have a, uh, we had a, a lot of people had to go do this sort of homeschooling thing here for a while. Not everyone loved it so much. And everyone started talking about how we get, need to get these schools open. But are conservatives missing a giant opportunity here? Um, that's the case made by Ryan Gerdusky. He is a political consultant and author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the Nationalist Populist Revolution. Uh, and he has an op-ed in The Hill. Conservatives are blowing their opportunity to remake education. Ryan, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. This is kind of the case here, and it's a really interesting one. And I have to admit, one I didn't think of and should have. I mean, this is a huge opportunity for conservatives to maybe implement some of the things we've been trying to get done for a very long time. You know, when the coronavirus hit, usually it's Democrats who sit there and say never take, uh, never lose the opportunity, never never miss an opportunity with a crisis. Mm. This should have been our case. We should have not missed an opportunity with this crisis. We should have actually taken advantage of it because in many ways the economy, our schools and our and our basic infrastructure need to be reworked, uh, especially with education. Uh, you know, a lot of Republicans right after the schools closed had reopened the schools. Well, the schools were the problem. So why would we run to reopen them? Uh, part of it is curriculum by the fact that we have a lot of activist teachers in our classrooms teaching children to hate their country and its history. And part of it is just essentially doesn't really work for a lot of students. I mean, I know as a as a young boy, education did not work for me. I couldn't sit in a classroom for you know eight hours a day folding my hands and trying to take notes. I think that there could have been better methods. And if you look at the expense and the cost of public education, it far outseeds that of, of private education. So if there was one Republican governor in this country who could start taking money from the education fund and reasserting that into families' personal choice of education during the coronavirus, I think that that would be a win, even if it was just a portion of what the education spending was. In a place like South Carolina or you know uh, Pennsylvania or Ohio, where the Republicans have some level of power, sit there and strip some of several thousand dollars. If you have three kids, $10,000 for three children for their education is a lot of money for for a lot of middle class and working class parents. Yeah, I mean, you know, you really break it down well in, in the column. And it's like, I, it, it, it's a very simple change that I think people would like on multiple levels. Um, and let's start, let's go through those for a second because number one, the the government is trying to encourage us to stay home anyway, right? Like they want us, this this is their plan obviously to, to help with, with the virus. And so this is something, you know, saying to parents, look, we will give you cash, cash that we would have spent on education, that you, for you to keep your kid home and, and do this, you know, do homeschooling. 
this would help the virus. This would help uh, with um, uh, with parents as far as cash goes. You know, like a lot of people were miserable doing the homeschooling thing. But if they were getting I mean, you're, you're pointing out the numbers here. A family of three children in Pennsylvania, a public school could receive about sixteen thousand dollars to keep their kids at home and do homeschooling. I think a lot of parents would jump at that opportunity. Right. And that's not taking any money away from the teachers. I didn't sit there and say we should take money from the teachers because, mm-hmm. you know, they, a lot of them don't make the choice. It's the unions a lot of times or the governor making the choice. So if you take the cost of heating the buildings, of basic ma- maintenance that they do with, with education, things that normally go to students, students, uh, uh, extra services, all of that money alone would make up a lot of money. And there's a question of a lot of parents who are working class and, you know, need a little bit more than one, one parent's uh, income to get by. This could certainly substitute it, especially considering how many people are hurting. And if you go into rural areas where we don't have, you know, a lot of people don't have poor areas who don't have computers, who don't have, you know, the latest technology to educate their children. And I think that that is a really, really important idea is to sit there and start substituting some of this income because it one would help working class people on an economic front. And two would would maybe sit there and give a longer term program, even when this virus dies down to helping parents keep their kids at home because public schools for a lot of children just are not the ideal way of doing things. And it's what conservatives have always hated. Yeah, it really is amazing. And I think it's one of those things that if this was implemented as a crisis measure, because this is what we're talking about, it helps, you know, with the virus. It helps with the, the economic issues of the virus. A lot of parents are home without jobs. This would help them there. It would incentivize them to keep them away from other kids and potential spread of the disease. And I got to imagine there is a giant chunk of parents who, when this thing was over, would be begging for this to be continued so they can do still do homeschooling or some sort of virtual learning with their kids who might learn better that way and also receive money. We always talk about as conservatives, hey, well, we should send your tax dollars back to you so that you can send them to a private school if you want. Well, if it was if it was something a little bit different where you're not spending that money, you're actually able to keep it and maybe make your life at home a little bit better. I bet parents would jump at that. Right. And I also direct payments to these people because a lot I mean, we all pay property taxes to go to it and people don't have children. Maybe they wouldn't they wouldn't need the, the extra money. So, yeah, it would be a little bit of of uh, redirecting funds as far as, you know, it wouldn't be straight just tax cuts. It would be a direct payment, but it certainly could help working class and lower middle class people who the Republican Party needs to sit there and appeal to a lot of people of color, a lot of single mothers who just find themselves having a decision, am I gonna to go to work today or am I gonna sit there and sit my kid from the computer to educate them? And I think a bigger part of it also is to sit there and offer alternative curriculums. We have, you know, I know that I have a godson who came home one day told me how Columbus was so bad because he was learning a version of history that, you know, Disney taught him of Pocahontas, that Native Americans were basically having a giant Woodstock until the white man showed up. Mm. That is not, that's just not the tr- truth. Uh, alternative curriculum is really essential in this time when so many kids are home and to sit there and actually, you know, kind of flush the nonsense and the garbage and the anti-American rhetoric that they're being pushed inside even grammar schools, right at colleges, grammar schools this is being taught. Yeah, I think that's another thing that conservatives have, have done over the years is focus very much on, on you know, college and, and, and maybe even upper high school sort of curriculum. They don't look as much at, at, at what younger kids are learning. And, and I find, you know, my kids go to a private school and, and it's the best money I spend every single year um, because, you know, it, I, they come home with a totally different I, I, I tell the difference between them and their friends because I think a, a big chunk of it is this school. 
And, you know, most parents sit home and think to themselves, there's nothing I can do. I'm a victim of this system. I'm sitting here being bullied around by by, you know, whatever curriculum, whatever leftist organization has decided to plant all this stuff in my schools. This would give people an opportunity to be able to design whether they want private schools, whether it's charter schools, whether it's uh, homeschooling or this hybrid mix, which is, I think, a really interesting option for parents as well, where part of the time is at home, part of it is at school. These would all be options that, if given their tax dollars back, would be really exciting for parents, especially parents that might not have the means for a, for a private school on their own. Right. And, and part of it is that also the fact that these activist teachers, they hold the kids' grades in their future. So it's easier sometimes for the kids to get, you know, go along to get along. And who can blame them? Because they just want to pass the class and, and carry on with their day. But meanwhile, they're being brainwashed. But a lot of parents have not been, don't are not equipped with the tools necessary to sit there and offer that, offer them an alternative program as far as especially our history and our current events and our civics goes. So I think that yes, returning money to them to sit there and, and advocate for alternatives to public school at this time when so many public schools are closed and millions of kids don't have public school to go, to go to is so important. But also a curriculum that sits there, an alternative to what they're teaching in in schools that you know says that it's white Christian Europeans that are the oppressors of the world. I think that that is so, so, so important to sit there and teach them actual history. You know, a lot of kids think that peace and prosperity are the de facto that everyone just gets that and you know we 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 destroy and when in fact they are it is created through laws and through our system of government through you know what we've been taught from you know going back to the magna carta and the english uh you know for hundreds and hundreds of years that kind of program to teach kids actually the values of our civics of our of our ethics and of our history is so vital and a lot of parents just don't Aren't, aren't equipped with it. And so it is up to conservative institutions really to fill that void right now rather than screaming, send the kids back to public school. Mm, it's a really interesting and, idea and it has not been discussed enough. And, uh, you know, it would be very typical of us conservatives to drop the ball in this situation. So I kind of expect it. But still, it's a great piece. Conservatives are blowing their opportunity to remake education. It's in the Hill. What's the best place uh, people can find you, Ryan? RyanGerdusky.com or on Twitter at Ryan Gerdusky. All right, Ryan Gerdusky, political consultant and author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the Nationalist Populist Revolution. Thanks for coming on the program. We're back in a second. Every day we try to bribe you to write more reviews about us on iTunes by reading your reviews at the end of the show. Of course, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. First one is, uh, it's so great that I tell people about it. Ah, I love the first line of this. Thank you for doing that. Seriously, it makes a huge difference. We do so great with people who actually watch the show. It's just a matter of making sure that people know it exists. So please tell people about it. We really appreciate it. Stu uses facts, logic, stats, and reasoning to communicate the madness of the day. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. It's great. Whatever. Five freaking stars. Uh, Let's see. Pardon Barack Obama. It'll be great. Whatever. I wanted to give you one star, but then I realized Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. And the truth, the whole truth and nothing else. Five freaking stars. Just because why not? It's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, I want to tell you about a couple of things we have uh, available for you this election season. Number one, if someone, one of your friends came up to you and said, hey, do you see the news? Kamala. And you said, nah, Mala. Kamala Namala. That shirt is available right now at StuDoesMerch.com. Also, uh, if you know Seinfeld, you know Serenity Now. 
one of the most famous uh, catchphrases. This is not a Seinfeld shirt. Uh, it says senility now. If you can look very closely, it's a picture of Joe Biden, and people will love you for it. Whenever you see one of your friends who's voting for Joe Biden, they won't at all be critical of you calling him senile on your shirt. Senility now is alive and available right now, along with, of course, the classics. Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. Chris Cuomo is worse.com. And of course, this one, one of our best sellers, actually. This is what, you know, when your friends invite you over and you don't want to go, you can just have the shirt on. Just says, eh, sorry, can't make it. Self-quarantine. It's a great excuse. No one's going to want to come near you when you've got a virus. Trust me. I, I don't know what I just admitted, but...